Exodus is the story of God bringing His people out of bondage. Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chapel shares how you can break the chains that enslave you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Listen, the church cannot cover your sin and the baptistry water cannot cover your sin, but Jesus can cover your sin when you come to him by faith. The story of Israel is the story of us today. We are God's people, and He has drawn us out of bondage into a personal relationship with Him. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. In our series, Out of Bondage, we will learn the story of Exodus, grow in our awe and worship of God, and celebrate the one who can deliver us from the bondage of sin, fear, and guilt. And now, here's Pastor Paul Chapel with part one of a message called, Out From Your Doubt. Well, all of us appreciate a confident leader. And I know that when we think about situations like North Korea, we don't want a president that says, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do if that guy uh, shoots another bomb. I'm, I'm glad that we can hear things like we, we got what we need to take care of the situation. We like to hear confidence in our leaders. And if there was ever a man that really struggled with confidence as a leader, it was this man, Moses. In fact, most of us, in looking at his life, would not really describe him as a leader at all. He was a man that was very reluctant, very doubtful, and a man that really didn't believe that God could use him at all. Now, some of you remember the story how that Moses had been spared, and God had spared his life, and, and he'd been raised in the courts of Pharaoh. But one day he saw one of his countrymen. He saw a man, a Hebrew man, being beaten by the Egyptian taskmasters. And Moses, upon seeing that, committed a murder. He murdered the taskmaster. And because of that murder, the Bible tells us that he fled to a faraway land named Midian. And there amongst the Midianites he married and he was living, we might say he had gone AWOL, or we might say that uh, he was on the lamb. He was running from the law. However you want to view it, he was several hundred miles away from the children of Israel, and, and yet it was there that God found him. By the way, it doesn't matter if you live in Lancaster, L.A., or New York City, God's going to find you. And God came to Moses there in Midian, and he came to him in the strangest of ways. Remember last week we saw he came to him by way of a burning bush that didn't burn. It was on fire, but it never was consumed. It, it did not uh, find a way of being destroyed. It just kept burning and burning. And God began to speak from that bush to this man named Moses. And here it is in this burning bush revelation, in this miraculous appearing of God to Moses, that God is revealing his will to Moses. And yet, the overwhelming emotion of Moses was not encouragement or faith or belief but we see in the Bible his overwhelming response was doubt. You know, many Baptists, many Christians struggle with this matter of really just taking God at his word. Many times people doubt that God could use us. Many times people doubt that they could ever have a godly marriage. That's for other people. 
Some people doubt that they could ever give. That's for wealthy people. Some people doubt that they could ever witness. That's for talkative people. Some people doubt that God could use a storm to bring glory to himself. Some people doubt that God could ever bring revival into these United States of America. It seems that even with all the promises of the word of God, that many of us are like Moses We hear what he's saying, but then we reason ourselves all the way home in our cars back down to a place where we're doubting that God can really do it. Well, this morning we're going to learn that with God's calling comes God's enabling. Let's say that together. With God's calling comes God's enabling. That God's never going to call you to do something without enabling you to get the job done. Now, I want you to notice in our outline this morning the reluctance of Moses. Moses was a very reluctant man. And after all of the revelation of this burning bush, Moses turns to God and says, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. Not the kind of leader that we think God would use. He says, God, I hear what you're saying, but they're not going to believe me. They're not going to hearken unto my voice. This plan of yours is never going to work. God, you've got the wrong guy. That's what Moses is saying. You have chosen the wrong person. Now, we don't know exactly why he felt this way. It could have been the fact that he had committed the murder I mentioned a moment ago. It could have been the fact that he was a long ways away from the will of God for his life. And one thing is really true when you think about it. Moses could not deliver the people. There's no way that he could do that. There's no way that I can save a soul. Only God can save a soul. But God's still looking for people to be witnesses for him. Amen? And Moses was not going to truly conquer Pharaoh, but God wanted an instrument. God wanted a witness. He wanted someone that would say, here am I, Lord, use me. The fact of the matter is that when it comes to having a godly home or raising a godly family or being a godly witness, none of us really are able, but that's the point of the story. God is able. In fact, we learned Wednesday night this wonderful verse, and I put it in your notes. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the confidence is not in ourselves. The confidence is not that we can do it, that we can build it, that we can make it. The confidence is going to be in Christ, that he has begun a good work in us, and that he will finish the work. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Now, I believe that God has called us to be his followers, and God has called us to live for him, and to be a light for him, and and, and if God is calling us to live for him, that he's going to do that through us. G. Campbell Morgan was a very famous British preacher, and he had been saved at an early age, and in fact, by his early 20s, was preaching to very large crowds throughout London. He was very eloquent in his preaching. His theology was sound. But liberalism came across the land in England and in Europe, and there were certain teachers, and it was known as uh, German rationalism and uh, liberalism, higher criticism, they called it, coming into the Uh, mindset of many young preachers. They had to wrestle with some of the challenges against the Bible and people questioning the truth of the Bible and Darwin's theory was popular and there was a period of time for G. Campbell Morgan when doubt began to fill his mind. Here he was a preacher and yet he began to wrestle with some of these things and 
G. Campbell Morgan for many weeks struggled in his own heart and mind. In fact, he went through a period of time where he took all of his books and all of the writings uh, and he put them on the shelves and he locked the shelves and he put himself in a room for several days where he read one book and one book alone and that book was the Bible. And as he read through the Word of God time and time again, G. Campbell Morgan came to that place where he realized God's Word is true and God's Word can be trusted. And he came forth from that room and became one of the mighty preachers of England. In fact, his messages are well read even today. Messages from the pulpit of Westminster Chapel just a few blocks from Buckingham Palace where he preached the Gospel of God and was famously known as a great man of faith. But I tell you this morning, this great man of faith had a season of doubt. He went through a time where he wondered about God. Could God really use him? And some of you go through seasons of doubt, and I want you this morning to see that having a lack of faith does not mean that you are not a Christian or that something is wrong, but not listening to God this morning is what is wrong. (laughs) Moses was a man who had failed to listen to God. After all, The Bible says in chapter 3 and verse 12, he certainly said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Chapter 3 and verse 17, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. In other words, God had told him that he was going to do the delivering. Moses just wasn't listening to God. And many times God tells us, give and it shall be given. God says if we go forth and sow precious seed, we'll come again rejoicing and bringing our sheaves with us. God gives us many promises, but like Moses, we doubt that it would ever be true for us. And that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones, who followed G. Campbell Morgan at that Westminster Chapel, once wrote these words, the ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. Why was this man at the backside of the desert? And why have other prophets of God cowered under a juniper tree? And why do Christians quit? And why do we sometimes spend lengthy periods of time depressed and discouraged? And the answer can be found in one word, unbelief. Moses was simply not believing God. He had a lack of faith. And not only that, he had a lack of vision. He just failed to see what God wanted him to see. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, the word vision means biblical understanding. So God is telling us where there is no biblical understanding, where there is no biblical paradigm, if you're not seeing it the way God sees it, then you're not going to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Where there's no vision, the people perish. We need men in this room who have a biblical vision for their family, lest their children perish. Uh, We need today uh, to have fathers who have a vision, and we need today to have mothers who have a vision for a Christ-like home and a godly atmosphere. And we need today to have pastors who have a vision for the potential of the youth and the potential of the church, because without a biblical vision, then people will perish. And so it was, if Moses didn't get God's vision, an entire generation of people were going to perish. Moses had a lack of faith. He had a lack of vision. Now, maybe his lack of vision was because of his past failures. In fact, on the next day after he committed murder, he went back into the 
land of Egypt, and he observed some people there. And notice what they said to him in your notes, verse number 14, chapter 2. After he went out the second day, he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? You see, as Moses was there in Egypt's land, some of these Jewish people, the Hebrew brothers, said to him, hey, who do you think you are? Who made you the boss over us? We saw that murder that you did. And Moses, no doubt, felt at that moment like anything but a leader. In fact, as soon as they said that, he went hundreds of miles away to Midian. He remembered distinctly the words of failure, those words, who do you think you are? He didn't see him as a leader. And some of you have had some words said to you, maybe when you were eight or nine or 10, you're never gonna make it, you're ugly. Maybe you've had someone say to you, you know what, as a teacher, you're the dumbest student I ever had. Or maybe someone has said to you, God can never use you. Maybe there is a past failure that is blurring your vision today. And I wanna tell you something, instead of listening to the accuser today, Instead of listening to Satan today, I encourage you to listen to God who is not finished with you yet. Moses had some stuff in his past. Some of you have some stuff in your past. But don't let that blur the vision of what God wants to do with your future. Lloyd-Jones said to dwell on the past simply causes failure in the present. To dwell on the past simply causes failure in the present. Hey, don't ruin your future by living in your past. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the Bible tells us as he was on the road to Damascus, he was converted. Why was he going to Damascus? He was going there to kill Christians. He was going there to throw Christians in prison. And that's why he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forth uh, uh, towards those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus sometimes you've got to put your past failures behind you so that you can accomplish what God has for you in the future I heard about two kids that were outside playing and a little boy took a rock and uh, he threw it and and he killed one of his family's chickens and uh, he, said, uh, he said it was an accident, and knowing boys, I'm not sure that it really was, but whether it was or not, he figured nobody would notice. He buried the chicken. After he got done burying the chicken, his sister said, I saw what you did, and if you don't wash my dishes, I'm telling mom. <laughs> well, the boy did dishes for days and days. And finally, he went to his sister. He said, you wash them. She said, no way. I'm going to tell mom. He said, I already told her, and she forgave me, and I'm free again. (laughs) Can I tell you something? You can be free again. The devil may be holding something over your head like blackmail. The devil might say, why? If you ever sang up in that choir, somebody might walk in and they might see you and then remember what you did way back when. Hey, I got to tell you something. If you're saved, your sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's as far as the east is from the west. Don't let your past sin blur your vision about tomorrow. Maybe it was because of past failure. Maybe he had a lack of vision just because of a lack of faith. In fact, it's interesting to me in verse 1, he says, but behold, they will not believe me. Warren Wiersbe says, that's just another way of saying, I don't believe you, God. 
See, some of you say, you know, I, I would try to witness and tell somebody about Jesus, but, but they're not going to believe me. No, the question is not whether they believe you. The question is whether you believe God. Because God has promised that his word will never return unto himself void. God has promised that he will bless his word. So we see the reluctance of Moses. But notice secondly today, the revelation of God. Verse 2, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Notice God's power demonstrated. God says, Moses, I understand you're having a little trouble believing. I understand you seem to feel like this isn't going to work. So, so let me demonstrate my power. And, and he, he asked this question. He says, what is that in thine hand? Now, this is very significant. What is in thine hand? Would you say that with me? What is in thine hand? One more time. What is in thine hand? This is where it always begins. You say, but I don't have anything. I don't have much in my hand. I, I just want you to understand that God is going to ask you what is in your hand. Not what is in someone else's hand, but what is in your hand. Like the boy at the feeding of the 5,000. And they said, there's a lad here with five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? You see, it's not a matter of how much or how little you have. It's a matter of will you yield it to God? Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't have much, I don't know much, I'm not much, but what I have, I give to you, you see. And this was why God said, Moses, what is in thy hand? And he says, a rod. And he says, now throw it down, and it immediately becomes a snake. I believe it became a cobra snake. The cobra was the symbol of the Pharaoh. It was a symbol of Egyptian power. And that cobra snake now crawling down at the feet of this man, Moses. And now I see Moses doing the smartest thing he's done all day long. The Bible says he fled from it or he ran away from it. Here we see a frightening moment for Moses. This rod becomes a serpent and he fled from before it. I remember years ago when we first came to Lancaster, 1986, and I was out uh, door knocking and I met a lady at her home and invited her to church and I asked if my wife and I could come back that evening and we came back and talked to her and her husband and we began to share the gospel with them and uh, they were gloriously saved in their living room. It was wonderful. Not far from here, maybe a mile or two. And after they got saved, uh, he said, I'd like to, like to show you something kind of cool. I said, yeah, great. And we'd been there already probably a couple of hours and I'd been through many verses about baptism and assurance of salvation and so forth. He said, I want to take you into a room and show you my hobby. I thought, all right. And uh, we go into a room, and I'm telling you, three walls of this room were covered with fish aquariums, but they weren't filled with fish. They were filled with Mojave green rattlesnakes. And this guy has a hobby of going out into the fields with sticks and putting a stick on the neck of a Mojave green and then picking it up, throwing it in a burlap sack, bringing it to his house, and putting it in those aquariums. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this guy is nuts. I mean, I'm glad he got saved and everything, but this is weird. And his wife's kind of looking at me and my wife like, yeah, it's, it's a little weird, isn't it? And, and, uh, and I was thinking to myself, there's no way on earth I'd ever sleep in this house. I'd be waking up at night thinking, are they getting out? 
Are those aquariums good aquariums? I mean, I just, I'm just one of those people. I'd just be thinking thoughts like that all night. In fact, we had to actually give marriage counseling to them because the wife was so filled with anxiety she couldn't stay in the house. And I think ultimately the man may have chosen the snakes. I'm not sure. By the way, fellas, if your wife has something like that that you're afraid of, if, if it's snakes, kill the snakes. You say, well, I'm an animal lover and I believe in animal rights. Okay, kill the snakes. <laughs> animal lovers get no rights around here when it comes to snakes. I'm just telling you. His wife was so afraid of snakes. The Bible tells us that Moses jumped back in fear, but then notice what God tells him in verse 4. He says, now take it by the tail. I don't know about you. I'd have a little trouble grabbing this big old cobra by the tail. But the Bible says Moses took it up and it became a rod again in his hand. A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. God is saying, Moses, I know you have your doubts, but don't forget who you're talking to. Don't forget what I can do. He says, Moses, why don't you go ahead and put your hand into your bosom there in verse number six. Put your hand in towards your stomach. And when he took it out, it was filled with leprosy. Leprosy was feared by the Egyptians. They had tried many different times to make medicines to cure leprosy. They had many lepers camps. It was recorded in the history of the Egyptians. It was a dreaded disease indeed. And God is simply saying in this lesson, look at now, Moses, you know that over there in Egypt with all their gods and with all their wisdom, they've never been able to do anything about the leprosy problem. But Moses, put your hand back into your stomach and take it back out. And when he did, he was completely healed. God was saying, all of Egypt has tried to heal and all of Egypt has tried to cure leprosy. And I've been able to do it right here instantly. Moses, don't forget, you're not dealing with the gods of Egypt. You're not dealing with the gods of this world. You're dealing with the I am God. And our God is a cleansing God. Our God is a powerful God. And may I say to those of you that may be visiting with us today, that leprosy is a type of sin. It eats away and it destroys. It destroys the heart. It destroys the home. And there's only one way to have forgiveness of sin. And that is by coming to Jesus Christ who cleanseth us from all of our sin. For the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all of our sin. The same God who cured leprosy is the God who cures sin when we come to Jesus Christ and ask him to cover us with his blood to forgive us he says i'll cleanse you from your sin there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains listen the church cannot cover your sin and the baptistry water cannot cover your sin but jesus can cover your sin when you come to him by faith his power is demonstrated and his promise is declared to Moses. Notice in verse 8, It shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the second sign or the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. 
You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chapel on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchapel.com and click on his social media links. You can also receive this entire series of messages to help you in your spiritual journey when you make a donation to this ministry. Get yours right now by calling 800-688-6329. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel has served as the pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church for more than 30 years, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today where you can listen to today's entire message, connect with us, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at allchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.